going to finish our conversation on the motivation gifts this evening and go over four of them. And the four of them that I'm going to go over are the gift of service, the gift of giving, the gift of giving that keeps on giving, the gift of leadership, and the gift of mercy. So again, the gift of service, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and the gift of uh, mercy. So I'll go ahead and read with you Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 13. It says this, Paul speaking. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted or given to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not, do not have the same function. Remember that's a past tense term. They do not all have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we're all different but we're all connected together. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, or he who shows mercy, now you want to make sure you underline that, it's not just the gift of mercy, it's the gift of showing mercy, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And then he goes on from there, really in a continued conversation about how the body of Christ is one people working together in harmony and unity. Now, the context of the book of Romans, I'm going to go over this again, even though I shared it with you last week. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome sometime around 56 AD. Scholars believe that they received it like a year later. He was in Corinth when he wrote this letter, and it was, he was on his third missionary journey. So he had come down the road some time. He'd, he'd been accustomed to planting churches, writing letters to churches, to cultivate them, to disciple them in the ways of Jesus. Paul was, uh, he, he had never been to, at least we know he'd never been to Rome when the churches were established. So he was unfamiliar with this group of people. Some people believe the church in Rome was started because the, there were some people from Rome that were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. Remember, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. We see that in Acts chapter 2, and it goes on from there. So some believe that the people that were there received Jesus, were baptized, went back to Rome, brought the gospel there, and that companions of Paul were sent at some point to begin a church, maybe Priscilla and Aquila, and in their house, what the church was started. Now, it's really important, I've, I've shared this with you before, but in 49 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled all of the Jews. Those were both Christians and non-Christians for various reasons. Now, why do we care about this? Because primarily the leadership, we believe at least, the leadership of the church in Rome was primarily Jewish. 
And so overnight, the church of Jesus Christ lost their Jewish brethren, the Jewish leaders in the church, and it's left to these, the Gentiles who came out of probably paganism or some form of paganism, and now they're left to lead the church and preach the gospel so that the church would grow. And so they're doing that, and it's about five to six years later when, the, uh, when, the Rome, when those that were kicked out of Rome, the Jews, were able to come back into their home. And so five years, the Gentiles had led the church in Rome. God had added to their number, and they're trying to acclimate to being with Gentiles, not only because they have that tension already, but they have an even greater tension because the leaders now that are there have been established. So how do you integrate back in? And it makes a lot of sense as to why Paul would write big portions in, in the Roman letter about Jew and Gentile. He, he really spends a couple chapters, Romans chapter 9, chapter 10 and 11, on, on the whole uh, Old Testament about how God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and how he had chosen Israel as his, as his first covenant people to bring forth the temple, to bring forth the law, to preserve the messianic line. That really was what predestination was all about, was to preserve the messianic line, to bring forth Jesus. The nation of Israel had a purpose, and uh, of course, I've shared with you before that I'm not a Calvinist, and I believe a lot of Calvinism is referring to the chosenness of God in the Old Covenant. And so when it gets to the New Covenant, I believe what Paul's climax term, or the way that he's bringing this conversation forward is he's saying, listen, God chose people, the nation of Israel, in the Old Covenant to bring forth the Messiah. Everything was very specific in order to accomplish all of God's purpose to bring forth Jesus so that all the nations of the earth could be blessed. All the nations of the earth could have the gospel preached to them. All the nations of the earth could become the chosen of God in Christ, as he talks about in Ephesians chapter 1. So I don't believe that God in any way chooses people to be on his team and then chooses others to go to hell, which is double predestination. And I don't have time to go over that with you, but I just want to be very clear that that's what I believe Paul's conversation is all about. That's what he's saying, is that it was for this purpose God chose Israel in the Old Covenant. So they had a very serious purpose. God used them. And God has a covenant with the people of Israel. Again, I'm, I'm I'm digressing, but I could talk about that. I would love to talk about that because I don't believe in replacement theology either. So there's a few of you that could say amen right there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. As the <laughs> so as the Christian Jews came home, they had to acclimate and become one people. And so that's why Paul is laying out a very serious theology from beginning to end. It answers some of the question as to why you find more, more of a doctrinal treatise in Romans than any, other, than any other letter. It's very, very interesting. And so the focus here in Romans chapter 12 is about unity and diversity. Uh, you can have diversity in unity. Obviously, that's very important. It's vital for us to understand that. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds, but we have unity in Jesus Christ. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not to divide us, but they're actually to bring us together. That's one of the, I believe, one of the points that Paul makes and for some reason today, the gifts of the Spirit seem to divide people, which is uh, the opposite of what Paul shares with them in 1 Corinthians and in the book or the letter of Romans. The gifts of God cause different parts of the body to come together and complete each other. We need each other, and we need every gift of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. We need every gift, not just the power gifts, not just the miraculous gifts, all the gifts, every single gift 
right on down to the gift of helps. We need every single gift, and we need to value every single gift. If you would consider yourself charismatic, meaning that you believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you need to honor the gift of helps in the same way that you honor the gift of prophecy. There are different gifts, and some are more of a public display than the gift of helps will be. Some of them have more attention from up front, and that's right because they are used more often. Other gifts are like the backbone of the church. Some are the mouth of the church. So you're going to see some more of them. We shouldn't feel bad about that, but we should have the same honor and esteem every part of the body the same. And so there are some principles I shared with you last week. I'm going to share them again. We call these gifts motivation gifts in Romans 12 based on what we read in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 6 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries. Remember, that's Ephesians 4. But the same Lord. There are varieties of effects. That word effects could be the similar word as manifestations. And that's what he goes on to say. Now the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And he goes on to list the nine gifts. And so this is one place where we get this distinction that he makes. We read in Romans chapter 12 where it's mentioned the word gifts, same word. It's reference to what God gives to all people that follow him, that believe in him, that know him. Manifestation gifts are for all in all situations. Their gifts, uh, ministry gifts are given to some. Everyone has one or two motivation gifts, but usually one rises to the top. I'll give you some of these principles. Everyone has a primary motivation gift, principle number one. Every person in the body of Christ has a motivation gift. Now, as you're going to see tonight, we all, the, the principles behind the gift, we all should function to a degree in these as Christian virtue. I mean, we all want to be like Jesus Christ, and so to the degree that we are growing to become more like Jesus, we will reflect his nature, and in that way that that gift is, we will see that, we see that grow more and more in our lives. But as those who are interdependent in need of the body of Christ to come together, to connect together, we each have a gift that is, that is even greater than the other Christian virtues in our life. It's something that we excel in. It's something that comes natural to us. It was given to us when we were born again. And so we want to discover what that gift is. We want to know exactly what that is. And we have in, this, in this, these verses, Paul talks about these gifts as past tense. Each one has been given. And so when people talk about we all have all of the gifts of the Spirit, that's not true. We all can access the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. That is true. But where there's not good teaching on the distinctions that Paul makes and the differences in the passages, and there's also another passage in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 10, where he he actually barely talks about it, but just a little bit. But where there's not this distinction, there's also not understanding. And at the end, what we really want is fruitfulness from all this conversation, not just knowledge or understanding. We want fruitfulness as a result of our study. But we each have a motivation gift. Some, some would say that you have a gift mix. You might have one or two. I, I personally think that one rises to the top. Now, you might have a struggle, like, which one is it? I, I, I identify with this and I identify with that. There might be a little bit of a tension. I actually personally see two of these motivation gifts in myself, and I don't know which one wins out. I, I, I'm, I'm there with you, so I'll leave that to the Lord. It doesn't really matter, and uh, I'm not going to be picky about it. Number two is everyone has a different measure of faith for their motivation gift. This is where you would talk about different levels. Like you see the gift of prophecy, and some people can prophesy at a whole different level than other people because there's faith involved in exercising your gift. 
Now it says, to each one was given a measure of faith. And Paul also says when he talks about prophecy in verse 6, if prophecy according to the proportion of your faith, that a proportion is, is the same word as measure. I don't know why somebody gets more faith when they come to Christ than someone else, but I know it's true. I know that some people, when they come into Christ, it's like they can believe for mountains to be moved. I mean, it's just amazing. And then there's some people that, that are just barely getting by. But God gives ever-increasing faith where we grow and we develop in Christ. So wherever we're at is not where we'll stay, but each one is given a measure of faith initially as these gifts are given. And I found that to be the case. Some people would say, well, how can people whose character is all over the map and they're, you know, they're nothing like Jesus, how can they function that gift? That gift must be false. No, no, he gives a measure of faith. The, the word gift carries the connotation of grace. It's of God's doing. It's of God's choosing. So the idea that God gives them to well-behaved children is, is, a, is a concept of man. It's not a concept of God. Now, here's the thing. You can take the gifts of God and you can use them, you can misuse them in a way that doesn't bring glory to God, and that's a shame. That's a shame. But it doesn't make it uh, somehow not the gift of God. I've seen plenty of people that are very, very immature be used of God in tremendous ways, but I'll tell you something about character. If we don't grow in character, that doesn't continue. That doesn't continue. Trust me. God doesn't need help in bringing people down. They come down. They all fall down in the end, don't they? And the testimony of the Lord is consistency. If there's anything that's Christ-like, it's being consistent, which it's a shame that a lot of people aren't, but I'll tell you if, you, if you're close to the Lord, you'll be consistent, not just gifted, but you'll be consistent. That's what we're after. One of my best friends, John Hammer, him and I talk about this all the time, how we, him and I, I'm in 36, I, I haven't been around this forever, but I've been around this long enough to see a lot of people fall down. And I look at him all the time, and I'm like, it's, it's good to get people excited, but I'm always trying to temper excited people, because it's not just passion that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for some solid folks that'll get up in the morning and pray and trust him and yield to him and believe in him and ask of him, like we talked about earlier. God, I need you. I need you more today than I did yesterday. We need to depend on God to use us, because it's really all about God anyways, isn't it? About his glory and we can get that twisted, and we don't want to. So that's why character is so vital. It's so important to grow in our character alongside growing in our gifts. That wasn't the point, but that one was free. So sort of put that one in your pocket, take it home, express that to your spouse whenever you feel like it. Just an idea. Number three is everyone must discover and exercise their motivation gift. Paul mentions this and the results that will follow us being people that gives, give our gifts away. So we want to discover them. And again, I don't, you don't want to be nitpicky. If you find two and you're like, I don't know which one's more dominant, just go with both of them. Discover which ones that you feel that God has given you in your life, and then begin to hone those, begin to exercise them more and more. I'll tell you, God will use you, God will use me despite us. And some people make that argument with, with me all the time. They say, Ben, you know, you teach on the gifts, and I mean, I, I, God, God's going to do what God's going to do. Once again, there's that kind of determinism creeping in there. Don't believe it. There it is. God partners with us, and there's a serious purpose with that. But here's the thing. What is the purpose of us knowing the gift? I believe that when you and I know the gift, we're more confident in God, and we're more confident in Him using us because we know it's not just us mustering it up. It's not our own strength. What we're doing is we're drawing from what God has given to us, and we're stepping out in faith to see God use us for His glory. And I believe that the magnitude of the ministry 
that you and I are giving away to other people is just that much greater and can increase when we know that it's from God in our life. So that's why I teach on the gifts, because I don't think there's any value in ignorance whatsoever. Right? God's a God who says, I know the plans I have for you. God knows everything, and He enjoys bringing us in on those pieces so that we can partner with Him along the way. Now, He's not going to give us all of those pieces at the same time, but He gives us the pieces that we need as we walk with Him so that, he would, so that we would be used by Him, again, for His glory. Can I mention something to you that's very, very vital in this conversation? God has a mission in this world right now. And many are not engaged in that mission. The more we are engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, the more things like spiritual gifts become important to us. I mean, you don't want tools until you start building. I mean, it's nice that you have a lot of tools in your garage, but you don't go to Sears and you don't go to Home Depot to go buy more tools until you need to use them. So in my, in my understanding and in my opinion, I think that that when you talk about spiritual gifts, hopefully it's because we're going to use them. And I think you get, more, uh, you, get, you get more out of the conversation when you start to use them. So that's why we want to know what God has given to us. It's very important. So what I, what I encourage people to do is get engaged in the mission of God to whatever degree that God has called you. And if you don't know what that is, then you, could, you can ask some good godly people around you, what do you think God's called me to? It's a great question to ask some people that know you. I mean, Christian people that know you. Don't ask people, I mean, God bless other people, but they're not going to say anything that's going to help you. You understand? Be like, I asked my neighbor, and they said, I'm good for nothing. Well, of course I am. <laughs> say that. Stop playing your rock music late at night. I don't know. <laughs> so God wants to reveal these gifts to us, I believe. And I'll tell you, in my ministry, knowing what God has given me has helped me tremendously. It's helped me tremendously. It's fueled me in days where things get tough, where this isn't about me. I, I, can t- I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a church service, and I just, I don't feel like doing anything for the Lord. You ever not felt like doing something for the Lord? Come on, be honest. Like, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling, and we live by our feelings. We wouldn't admit that, but some of you need to say amen, not because you want it to be true, but because it is true, and so... I've come into the service and I'm like, God, I need you to fill me with your spirit and put gifts in my hands to give away. Because it's not about my gifts. It's about his gifts that he gives to me to give away. They're they're not given to me to be a gifted person, to be a spiritual person, to be a powerful person. He gives stuff to his kids so that his kids can give it away. It's the same principle that when my kids go to a birthday party... My son's seven, my daughter's nine, they're about to be 10 and eight. We've got older kids as well. We've been through this, my wife and I have been through this before. But you know, they're not, you know, kids at that level, they don't buy the birthday presents for their friends. Oh, but they act like it, don't they? They act like it. We go to the store and they're looking down the aisle. And, and you know, the price doesn't really matter when you're not purchasing it. And like, oh, I think this would be really cool. And I'm like, no, that wouldn't be really cool <laughs> to dad and mom's pocketbook. But they always, they always want to get that thing for their friend, and, and the parents fund the gift. And that's what it's like in the Lord, is God has funded all of the gifts, but the gifts are not meant for us to possess. They're meant for us to give away. And God funds His kids that give away what He gives to them. 
When you ask God to give you something, the answer is yes if you're a person that shares with other people. It's amazing. It's amazing. God says yes. He loves it when you get, I mean, I love it when my kids ask me for something for someone else. It just is a delight to my heart. I mean, if they ask for themselves, it's easier to say no. (laughs) Not all the time, but it's easier to say no. When they're asking for somebody else, it means a lot to me that they want to share. They want to give away um, what they're asking for. Now, let's talk about the different motivation gifts tonight. The first one I want to talk to you about is the gift of service. The gift of service. On your notes, you'll see the definition is this. The ability to perceive the practical and physical needs of others and address them. Now, I want to say it again. The ability to perceive the practical and physical needs of others and address them. This is the gift of service. And a person who has this gift, this is a very practical way to help identify this for yourself or someone you know. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can help someone with their practical needs. How they can personally help someone with their practical needs. All right, Not get other people. We'll talk about the gift of leadership in a minute, but there's a difference. They're going to jump in there and involve themselves with the practical needs of others. Now, the Greek word is often translated ministry, minister, or the word deacon at times. You'll find the word deacon in there. The ancient world, in the ancient world, this word was used to describe people who waited on tables and served food. It was actually looked down on when they used this word to describe or identify somebody outside of Christianity, outside of Christian terms. It was, it was a word that they would use to look down on somebody, that somebody that would wait tables and and this kind of a thing, a lower level of service. Now, of course, you know in the ancient world, servants were not looked up to, they were looked down on, and Jesus comes to shift and switch all of that in our understanding, especially when he talks about leadership. He talks about the last will be first, and those among you who desire to be great must first become a servant, or even stronger term would be become a slave, a slave of all. That's leadership in the, uh, in the words of Jesus. Now, we should all serve clearly, And we should all care about the needs of others. That's without question. However, a person with this gift is driven by this. They're driven by this. It's an inward drive, an inward motivation. They are always driven. Now, I can imagine this kind of a person that anytime they hear a need, somebody's talking and there's this need that's brought up for a person that's maybe around them or connected to them, and they're automatically starting to think about how they can address that need. If that's you, if you think like that, this could be you. Somebody's talking about a practical need of a single mom or some kind of practical need, physical need. You're already thinking about what you can do to meet that need. The scripture references, uh, these again, when I use these scripture references, you have to be generous with me because I can't find verses in the Bible that deal specifically with that gift manifesting. You can't find it. Matter of fact, it's really hard to exegete a lot of how-tos anyways. Like when I teach on prophecy, it's really hard for me to teach you how to prophecy, how to, or excuse me, how to prophesy from Scripture. I can teach you all about the gift of prophecy. I can teach you about the prophet. I can teach you about what it is. But I can't teach you how to prophesy from Scripture because there really is no place that it shows us that, but it doesn't say this is how you prophesy. It only gives us a glimpse into people that did prophesy. Or what word that they gave or something like that. So it's very difficult to exegete the how-to. And we're stepping out on the understanding and experience it, experiencing it ourselves. 
inside the context of Scripture. So you have to be generous with these passages that I'm using. They relate to serving somehow or the word that's used in Romans chapter 12. Just want to clear that up. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, this is where the apostles chose seven men, the word deacons is also applied there, who could oversee the food distribution. Now, the story goes that the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked in the regular food distribution, and so they bring complaints. The complaints came to the apostles. The apostles said, we need to focus on the ministry of God's word and prayer, so we're going to find seven men who are full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? They had to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit to distribute food. I mean, I wonder if we had those qualifications today. Oh, you want to be an usher? Are you full of faith in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll come back when you are, and maybe you can pass the plates. We'd have, like, nobody serving in the church. <laughs> It'd just be awesome. <laughs> the pastor would do everything. I don't know. It's awesome. It's not funny to you. It's funny to me. John chapter 13, verse 5 through 20, this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and at the end of him washing the disciples' feet, he told them to do the same. Now, this is an interesting passage, uh, because it wasn't that Jesus wanted us to start a foot-washing ministry, which I talked to you about in How to Study the Bible, for those of you that have chosen to wash people's feet in response to this passage. What Jesus was really teaching the disciples was that you need to humble yourself to that of a servant and serve people whatever needs are in front of you, even to the lowliest of needs. You need to be willing to do that. That's what the people of Jesus look like. That's what serving people looks like, that you and I are willing to stack some chairs. We're never above that. I don't care, pastor so-and-so, whoever you are, you're never above the lowliest of, uh, of tasks in the body of Christ. It doesn't mean you have to do them, but it means you're never above them. And we need to be people that are humble. That's what servants are. People with the gift of service are, are they're humble. And Jesus taught his disciples to be that way as a normal way of life. But people that are gifted this way, they're inwardly convicted and motivated automatically. They just constantly look for these opportunities. It's just they can't help themselves. They're always, they're always there. And I would also go as far as saying that they kind of look down on other people that don't do what they do. My experience with people that are inwardly motivated like this, they, they kind of think other people aren't as, aren't as servant-oriented as others. But isn't it amazing how the conversation isn't about that we're all supposed to share the same inward motivation. We all are supposed to grow in Christ-like character, sure. But if each of us can learn and do our part well, we can get it all done. That's, that's the point. And so the person who has the initiation gift of service, maybe instead of criticizing, this is just some recommendation, what you have to do is draw the attention of people to the needs that are at hand. Because if you see, my definition is very clear, the ability to perceive since they're always looking for those opportunities, they can't help it. They're seeing more needs than other people are seeing. And so you can't look down on the other people that aren't seeing them because you automatically see them. And that's, a God, that's God's gift in your life. So we don't want to take God's gift in our life and look down on other people for not having what we have. But we've shared that in other ways as well. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, this is the story of Martha and Mary. It's a great story. Martha was distracted by all the preparations. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, he doesn't put Martha down. He just says what Mary's doing right now, what Mary's doing right now is most important right now, sitting at my feet, learning and listening to my word. But it wasn't that what Martha doing wasn't important. It was important. 
but he was trying to bring a sense of priority to her in all of her preparations and in all of her knowing about and wanting to fulfill the practical needs that were there. He wanted her to know that that's important, that's part of who you are, but there's a time where you've got to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his word. So I would use this scripture to say that there are people who are driven this way and they, they might have a problem with prayer because they're really busy doing the stuff, doing the work of, of serving people. And so we've got to be reminded that there's a balance in between there of, of learning to listen to Jesus and be a people of prayer right alongside our serving others. Amen? Of course. Now the function of service, there's three things I want to bring your attention to. Help and assistance. This is one of the functions, help and assistance. Obviously, a person that is gifted this way is, is out to help people, is out to be an assistant to people. They always want to come alongside and help somebody do what needs to be done in times of need. Another thing is awareness. Like I just told you, a person with this gift is good at identifying needs that are overlooked with people. And so bring awareness. If that's you, bring awareness to other people. It's something that you do and, and, and know that. And number three is accomplish. A person with this gift will get things done and help others to do the same. And I would also let you know that these people aren't looking for long-term projects. Most of the time, it's like they can, the things that they can get their mind wrapped around. I can do that. It's not one of those things that they look at and go, man, I don't think I can do that. I mean, things that would overwhelm them, I don't see this kind of a person in that predicament. All right, that would be more of like the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership would see sort of a long-term thing, project, and they're automatically thinking about how many people it would take to get that job done. They're good at assembling people to get those kinds of tasks or jobs accomplished. We'll talk about that in a second. So that's the gift of serving or the gift of service. Again, a person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can help someone with their practical needs. If the shoe fits, wear it and wear it good. The gift of giving, second gift we're going to focus on, the gift of giving. Here's the definition, the ability to receive and release spiritual and financial resources in order to help people and extend God's kingdom. You'll see the and there. This is very, these are my definitions, okay? So I hold them close to my heart. I worked harder on them. I might change them a little bit in the end, uh, but I think that they're close to what I believe at this point these gifts are. The ability to receive and release spiritual and financial resources in order to help people and extend God's kingdom, all right? So these guys uh, are, are people that, who have this gift. They're always thinking about how they can give something to a person or people in need. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can give something to a person or a people in need. If you're always thinking about that, that's something that just comes to you automatically. There's a flow you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to go, oh, I should really go think about that one. It's just autumn. It's like the faucet is already turned on. If that flows in your life, how can I give something? How can I, how can I make that better by giving something that I have to make that work, to make that function, to make that happen? That's the person with the gift of giving. The word in the original language means to give over or to share or to transfer something. Literally, usually rendered means to share something with others. This person knows how to share. They think about the things that they have and the gifts that they receive, like financial gifts, for example, and they don't automatically go, oh, wow, a new Cadillac. <laughs> they think about how this is meant to be potentially for somebody else. And this could be the person that gifts, gets the gift card, and they're like, who's this gift card for? They don't automatically think about themselves first. See, that's how they, that's how they roll. They get an increase or a bonus at work, and it's, oh, man, I can give more. 
It's just part of their DNA, see? And when those needs, not just the practical physical needs, but the financial needs or where spiritual resources are needed to advance God's kingdom, they're like, we can do this. It comes with great faith, actually. They challenge people tremendously. Now, because they have to receive this, right, in order to give. And so they have this ability to acquire wealth, spiritual wealth and also financial wealth for God's kingdom, not just for themselves. And don't you see how this can get twisted in theology today? Isn't it interesting how that can happen? How good Bible verses can get twisted for people to think of themselves in terms of wealth rather than the kingdom and what God wants them to use wealth for. A person who has this gift shares common characteristics of a server but manifests it differently. Like I said, the, the server is the one who thinks about how, how to help people with their practical needs and the giver is one who thinks about how they can give something to someone. They don't necessarily want to get in there and start serving and washing feet, but they're thinking usually a bit bigger than that. How can I give someone to help fund or accomplish or get this thing off the ground? Having this gift does not mean that you're wealthy and it's not just about money. That's a really important truth. Time, talent, and treasure is a whole reality when it comes to the issue not only of stewardship but also generosity. Now here's some scripture references. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, this is where Paul references Jesus' saying, which we never have recorded, the saying that Jesus, where Jesus said this, it is better to give than to receive. You ever heard that before? It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where Paul references Jesus saying that. Somehow he picked this up along the way. It's better to give than it is to receive. A person that has this gift of giving, this is how they think. It's better to give than to receive. They're automatically thinking that way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 we work so that we have something to share with others. There's this scripture of not being idle and working with your own hands so that you have an abundance and that abundance can be shared with others. The word abundance in the Bible is typically used like if you could imagine, this is an illustration of the word abundance. It's like if you had a vessel of some kind like a cup, abundance would mean that you have the cup full and then it starts to spill over. And the concept or the idea that always comes with this word abundance or overflow is that whatever excess you have is to be poured into the life of someone else. So when Paul talks about having an abundance or when Paul talks about praying for an abundance or expecting for an abundance, it's always so that your cup will be fulled and the, ex full, the excess will be something that can be poured into the life of someone else. It's automatic. The concept comes with those words when you're reading the Bible. And you have Luke chapter 6, verse 38, and it, there's, this, there's this concept that Jesus talks about, give and it will be given to you. And he goes on to say, with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you, person. And, you know, there are definitely some twisted, there's some twisted teachers out there with twisted theology when it comes to these scriptures. But I want to tell you my take on this. I really do believe at the bottom of my heart that people who give, God supplies back to them. I don't care if theology is twisted. Yeah, there's a lot of bad theology out there. But you know what I think? I think that some of us have allowed prosperity theology to twist Bible verses that are actually really truthful and important in this regard. And for whatever reason, whenever we read those verses, we can't read them without those prosperity teachers kind of in our mind. Well, get those prosperity teachers out of your mind. The truth is this, is that when we live a kingdom life and we're givers, God takes care of us and he puts things in our hands to give away to other people. I tell people all the time, I mean, the concept of tithing, when it comes to tithing, do you guys really want to know my thoughts on this? Thank you for asking me about this. I'm going to share with you. I believe, I don't, I, oh man, I get in trouble. 
I'm going to say it anyways. I personally don't think that tithing is a new covenant truth. I don't. I don't think that the law applies in that sense. I, and people say, well, it was pre-law. That's fine. I, I, I understand that. I'm not messing. Here's what I believe, though. I believe 100% of what you and I have is God's. And I think that people who stick to their tithing budget, I think that they don't usually venture outside of that concept very often. And here's the thing. There are people that believe what I do because they don't want to give. Now, you, would you ask, here, ask me the question. Ben, do you tithe? Ask me that question. I, and I'm going to share with you because I, I don't want to lose my reward. I don't want to lose my reward. I tithe. Do you want to know why I tithe? Because the church that I belong to has decided that that's what we give as a community. And now it becomes an issue of authority. So if you and I are a part of a community that tithes, and that's what the leadership has decided, that that is the covenant that we've made as a community to bring into God's storehouse to give resources away, then that's what we do. And when you don't come under that authority, there's an, the, the issue is a lot bigger than whether or not you tithe. It's a lot bigger than whether or not you tithe. It's whether or not you come under authority and you're a part of covenant community. See, we live in a world of independence where people go, well, I just, you know, I want to sprinkle my tithe all around the world. I just want to sprinkle. See, you know what that is? That's called me controlling my money and not submitting and yielding, not just myself, but my heart to, to a leadership because I don't want to come under anybody. Do you see how the issue gets a lot bigger here? I know I don't have a lot of time to do this, but I preach until I'm done, y'all. I could do this from Scripture. I, I, I'm, this, isn't, this isn't just something I came up with yesterday. I personally believe that tithing is a principle that was introduced prior to the law, established through the law. It's something that Israel practiced. They didn't have currency when they started it. It was grain. It was seed time and harvest. And so then when it came into currency, we get lost throughout the old covenant, and then you see it again where it's like, you know, the, 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 the punished scripture that preachers will use, I've used it, I'm sorry. You know, are you robbing God of his tithe, you know, such an old covenant verse. But I'll tell you, when you get to the new covenant and you see them taking off, receiving offerings, they receive a whole lot more than tithes at times where it's needed. When you're part of a community, it's not just about what the, what the covenant of the Old Testament was. It goes far beyond that. Like if we were to say, hey, we believe that God has called us to do some kind of reach project, and we want everybody to go home and pray about what they're to sow into this project because we want to reach Linwood for Jesus Christ, and we know it's going to take resources. And I want to tell you something. People that don't go home and pray about the finances that they have in their life to become part of that, they're not under the authority of that local church. And it manifests that in that moment, that's why Jesus said, right? He said, where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. See, Jesus, Jesus took money and he talked about how it was an issue with the heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we need to break that spirit of independence in our life. I have been tithing since I'm 19 years old. God hasn't only taken care of me and my wife, but he has caused us to abound so that we could right now in our ministry that I could tell you none of us receive a salary from our ministry so that I can tell you that we've given away, I don't know, 12,000 hearing God books because people trust me with their money. 
Because they, and I think it's a God thing that's on our life. It's actually on my whole family. That God resources our family in this giving thing because it's for his kingdom. But people, often people that believe what I do about the whole tithing thing, they often don't believe you're supposed to tithe today because they don't want to give. And I'm like, I will give them an upgrade. Give me five minutes with that person. <laughs> I want to tell you something. I'm 36 years old. Since I was 19, God has taken care of every need I've ever had. Not only has he taken care of them, but he's prophesied them at times before they ever came. I can give you story after story after story. I have stood right here, right where I am right now, and I've had people, I've had people give me like uh, one, uh, 10 $100 bills right after God told me to give a th- the, th- the last $1,000 my wife and I had. I don't like to tell these stories because I don't want to be like, hey, look at, look at me. You start to... You start to sound a certain way, but I'm telling you, I've had God say, give your every last dollar that you have. We've done it, and we have watched God supply, not only in the same measure, but even abundantly more than we've given and sown. And so I don't care what people are preaching on television. I I don't really care. But when you're about the kingdom, when you're about the kingdom, God will do what he wants to do with our money because it's his money. But until we see it as God's money, it won't matter. Did I take you a little far on that one? I don't think I take, took you far enough. How'd you like that whole covenant community independence thing? How'd that, that, how'd that taste? Swash that one around a little bit. If you don't tithe, you start there. If you're not a good steward of your money, start there. I, I, I know I'm not preaching on that tonight, but I could and I should, and, 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 and maybe I will, but not tonight. The giver, the giver, all right, the giver would listen to a verse like this in Proverbs 11:24. The generous man will prosper. He who waters will himself be watered. I believe these verses. These verses are actually true in my, in my life. Anybody else? These true for you? You didn't know what to do? God took care of you? You prayed and it happened. I think we don't give glory to God enough for how he takes care of us, friends. I really, I really think that we lack in our praise and our thanksgiving. I would, I would be the first one to say that I, I've lacked in my thanksgiving to God for how he's taken care of me and my family. I'll confess that to you right now. But hasn't he taken care of us? Even when we didn't know what to do. Man, he's good. A giver would think about this, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Um, it instructs those who are rich to be generous with what they have. See, Paul had to remind people who were rich, hey, you're, you have the world's goods for a reason, and if you're not using it for that reason, then it's going to get twisted. John 3.16, which I shouldn't have put there, but I did, God so loved the world that he gave, loved is, love is revealed in our giving. You've probably, heard that a little, you've probably heard that before, and it's out of context, of course, but it's the concept that I'm after, right? Love is revealed in giving. God gave and spared no expense. He gave his son. Complete and total payment. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15, God provides seed to the sower. Paul spends two chapters on the issue of generosity, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he gets all the way to verse, verse 10 through 15. And this is what he says. He says, God provides seed to the sower. And I believe the person that has the gift of giving understands this like nobody else, that They know that there might not be anything in their seed bag, but when they reach in there, God's going to put something in there for them to spread the seed. 
See, as you're sowing, God will put more in your seed bag so that you can sow and accomplish whatever it is that's in front of you. People like this have to have great faith. There are three things that they do. The first thing is they cast vision. A person with this gift has faith to see big things happen because they know they can get what is needed to accomplish it. They cast vision for what is possible, but to others is impossible. They have to have a lot of faith because when we kind of think of, oh, well, that's going to cost like a million dollars, and they're like, so? I mean, this is money. And we're like, yeah, it's just, it's just money. I can't even get people to tithe. <laughs> you know, I, can't even give, I can't even get people to give. Like, it's our job to, to do that anyways. We just put invitations in front of people. Our job is to manip- I don't manipulate anybody. From- I don't want your money. Matter of fact, I don't want any of your money. I don't. It's not my job to manipulate people for money. It's my job to present opportunities for people to give. And if they feel so compelled by the Lord to sow into that, then they shall. It's a shame that more people don't ever feel compelled in any opportunities, ever. <laughs> but we can change that, amen? We can change that. And it's not just money. Sometimes it's sowing what you have. Sometimes it's sowing what you have. I can't tell you how many Bibles I've sowed or this, that, whatever I had. I, I gave it away. But they cast vision. They have great faith. Here's another thing they do. They release. This person will release people and projects by funding them, right? Often the, gi- the giver, I'm just going to call him the giver, the giver will come along when something is like needs to be accomplished and they will fully fund that. Matter of fact, I would tell you they're like a funnel for the kingdom, where God can pour into them and then they can channel these resources wherever they need to go. They have insight about where that's supposed to happen. They hate to get manipulated. They hate to get manipulated. And they want to fund people more than, more than things. They want to put money into people more than things. Matter of fact, there's a person that I know who is the epitome of this in a positive sense. And they have told me, I think, at least once or twice, that whenever it pertains to people that they would sign up to give. And they've given me sort of an open invitation to seek, to seek them out on projects as it pertains to building and equipping people in their own nation. But he's like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to pay for anybody's plane tickets, is the quotation. So, so they don't want to get manipulated and, and, and they often have a mind about how they want to do this. The, the last thing is they build faith. This person has faith that stirs people in very, very unique ways. See, we need the gift of giving in the church, not because we need money, but we need to be stirred to bigger things so that the kingdom can expand. I, one time I, gave, I, took an, I received, received an offering. I've gotten corrected on that a few times. I used to say, we're going to take an offering, and I've gotten corrected. We need to use the terminology, we receive. We're not taking anything, we're receiving. So I correct myself. However, it might have been one of you beautiful persons that corrected me. Thank you for that. Thanks. So... Just love correction. But uh, I remember, um, oh, what was I going to say? I forgot. One time, one time I received an offering, and I stood up and I said, it takes money to see revival happen. Now, some of you, you just get disgusted by even hearing that. But here's what I want to tell you. I di- what I didn't mean was what a TV preacher means. I didn't mean to build TV studios. I didn't mean to fund my radio program, okay? That's not what I meant. I meant that we need to put money in the right hand. Like, for example, you can support missionaries for like $10 a month right now. I mean, me saying that doesn't actually fund the missionary. 
I bring awareness so that we can put money into the hands of people to get things done. But here's, the, at the end of the day, it takes money, doesn't it take money? Money is a tool, money is a tool across the world. It's the currency that we use today to get stuff done. It's just the way that it is. Now, people would say, well, it doesn't take money to do that. that okay, I mean, it takes a lot of other things greater than money, but it does take money. This building costs money. Us meeting in this place, this microphone costs money. Everything that we're doing here costs money. The live stream costs us money to do. Everything costs money. And just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean that the cost isn't there. So it does cost money. My salary to be a pastor costs money. For me to be in full-time vocational ministry, it costs money. And people sow into that. And so we have this idea. So I, when I said that and I received the offering, there were people that got offended when I said it. But I meant what I said. I just didn't mean it in the way that they got offended. They got offended based on some kind of abuse that they perceived it to be, which is not what I meant. Because we didn't take an offering and then we went to the Cadillac store. You understand? That's not what happened. But that's the way that people kind of, we filter that kind of stuff, you know. It's funny how people today, and I'm going off, aren't I? Some of you guys are like, go for it, do it. <laughs> this is like the unedited version justifies my existence <laughs> on social media. I just go for it. I actually believe that if you were to like scale, and, and, and can, can I say this? I think I've said so much that, that there's a possibility of somebody being here. If you're here and you don't currently give financially, here's what I want to say to you. My words were not to shame you, not at all. But if you're here and you don't tithe and you don't give financially, I want to challenge you by the scriptures, not by what I want you to do, not because I want your money. I don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. But the Bible says where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. That's why God calls us as a family and a community of people to contribute together to accomplish the kingdom purposes that he has for us as a people. That's, what, that's the truth. But we all sow money somewhere. I tell young people, I'm like, you know, you're sowing money into video games, hundreds, thousands of dollars into video games. Nobody has a problem with that. But the minute somebody receives an offering, all of a sudden the church is the most wasteful, money-hungry entity on the planet. It's absolute lie. It's absolute lie. I mean, when you look at things like Hurricane Katrina years ago and all these things, if you look at how much money came from the church to change the realities of so many people. You look at Rancho de Sus Ninos and see how much money has been sewed in to a ranch that could be a place for orphans to come to. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that, to think that the minority of people that have wasted other people's money have somehow become the majority of those that have channeled money for kingdom purposes to love people, to serve people, and to raise people up in the day and age in which we're living. It's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous thing. I mean, there's lots of humanitarian organizations that need to be criticized, but I'll tell you, they're more in the world than they are in the church. The research is out there. You can find it yourself. I mean, I'm just being honest. Very honest. Crystal Judice. All right. <clears throat> the gift of leadership. The definition is the ability to gather guide and govern people and projects in order to build up the body of Christ and extend God's kingdom. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can gather people together in order to accomplish something greater than what's in front of them. 
A person who has a leadership gift is always thinking about not only how they can accomplish something that's bigger than themselves, but how they can lead people and gather people together in order to do it. They think that way. They think that way. Matter of fact, you could put a bag over their head, stand them in the back of the room, and they're still going to lead people somehow. (laughs) If people say they're a leader and they have no followers, they're not a leader. Okay. It's a a grace gift given by God. There are a lot of people that want to be a leader instead of a supporter. They have more of a supporting role, a supporting gift. And because I've, I've talked to you about this before, because we look at the significance like prominence, we think of significance as prominence, we get twisted in this. Significance is significance. Whatever it is that you do, do is unto the Lord. That's significant. It's the way in which you do what you're called to do, not just what you're doing. All right. Prominence is where people can, you can have some kind of clout, you can have people see you, but prominence doesn't mean that what you're doing is more significant than the other person. It doesn't mean that at all. So there's a difference between prominence and significance, and everything is significant in God's kingdom if we're doing it for Him and not for ourselves. And so we don't want to seek to be a leader or to have this gift if it's not something that God's given us. So we end up striving in the flesh to get people to follow us in something, and they don't want to follow because there's not that grace on our life. And so a lot of times leaders get criticized, like, well, that person is not, you know, this or not that or whatever, but people follow them. And so what we need to do is pray for those people that they're pure and they live a right and, and, and upright life before the Lord in righteousness and truth and holiness so that as people follow them, they follow them in the way that they would follow Jesus instead of spending all of our time criticizing what they are and are not, are not doing. The word for lead is also translated rule or manage and it literally means to stand before, stand before God, stand before people. In the Greek culture, this word outside of Christianity was used for a sailor of rank who would stand at like the bow of the boat and he would direct the crew to do their various tasks to accomplish what they needed to and really get where they were going. Person that would give directions, coordinates, he would command the crew, she would command the crew. Well, maybe it wasn't she in those days, of course. The original word is used in the New Testament eight times for fathers, elders, bishops, and deacons. That's where you see this word also used. Paul told those with this gift to lead with diligence, which means haste. The word diligence means haste. You know how in the Bible, original words behind the English word often mean multiple things. So we read the word diligence and something comes to our mind, but it means haste. It's like right now, to do so with diligence, to do so with haste. There's a certain kind of um, assertive quality to this person. A leader has a high level of self-confidence, which can often be misunderstood for arrogance. You know, in order to lead people and accomplish something bigger than yourself, it takes confidence to do that. And that confidence can be looked at as arrogance at times. I was on the phone with somebody today that was asking me to disciple them, essentially, and I was taking a walk, and I was on my prayer walk, which I try to take before I meet with you guys here, and I was telling them about the tension of a leader being that you're, try, you're humble before the Lord and you need to be humble before people, but you also have to have this outstanding confidence and faith to accomplish and go the distance. So you're living in this reality of tension between needing to be humble, and often when people hear the word humble, they kind of, they look at that word as like lowly and, 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 and it does mean that lowly and contrite, but it, it doesn't mean like, um, 
I don't know what the word is, but it doesn't mean like you're reserved and held back. That can't mean, that can't be what humble means. It means that you receive correction. It means that you'll listen to people. It means that you'll serve people. Humble means that, that you are, you're not, you're not bloated in, in and of yourself. You know, you don't think so highly of yourselves. And people on the outside can look at you and they can, if you have this gift, they can say, oh man, that person, that woman, that man, they're, they're full of themselves. But everybody else sees what they're doing. And that what they're doing, they're doing for other people. And then what ends up happening is we project people's motives, which is one of the most dangerous things you can do. People, you know, we do, it to, uh, we do it to our politicians all the time. Now, you and I, we're all probably sick of politics, okay? We, but you know it's wrong to project motives. I, I would actually say it's sin to project motives. You and I don't know the hearts of people. And it's wrong for us to do that. Matter of fact, I'm going to do this thing on politics. I know some of you are... I don't, I don't think you're like waiting for me to do it, but my next post is going to be, I love Obama. That's my next post. And I'm going to spend five minutes talking to you about how we, as a people of God, don't pray for our president. You know what Jesus said? He said, love your enemies. He's not even my enemy. He's not even my enemy. People, people spit poison at leaders. It's terrible. I can give you three clear scriptures right now that tell you and I to pray for our leaders. And here's my question. Are we doing that or are we standing in our opinions, spouting whatever it is that we feel that this person's all about? I'm telling you, it's the wrong thing to do. It's the wrong thing to do. You know, Jesus barely even said anything about the politicians of his day. He barely even said anything. What he did was he told his disciples, you're not to lead like the Gentiles. You're not to lord your authority over people. You're supposed to come to them humble. He used them as a contrast, but he didn't even name them, and he could have. Jesus just used it as a backdrop, saying the world is what the world is, but here's what you're to do. Don't take your authority and your leadership and lord it over people. Come under and serve. Be a slave of all. Love people. Help people. This is what you need to be about. And I'm just convicted as everybody else. I mean, I've, I've gotten on my opinion soapbox. But I found that God doesn't always care about my opinion soapbox. He loves me. And he delights in me. But he kind of lets me ramble a little bit. And he's like, oh, that's so, you're just so funny. I just think you're so funny. He doesn't put me down or patronize me. But I just think, oh, you're just, you're so cute. Look at you. I used to want to be like me and know everything about people that you say those things, I know. <laughs> I'm talking about me for a minute, okay? If the shoe fits, wear it, or kick it off in this case. But I'm telling you, I've, I've been guilty of that. I, I've said a lot of things I shouldn't have said. Matter of fact, if I've sinned in one area more than any other, it's this area. I have, I have said things that I should not have said, and it was sin. Matter of fact, I think I just, I think I might have done it yesterday pretty heavy. And I repent for, before the Lord. I'm not kidding. I'm, this is serious. I'm not a perfect man. I don't stand up here and tell you that. That's, that's, I, don't believe, I don't believe anybody is. As a matter of fact, I believe that we're seeking to be like Jesus. That's what we're doing. But I'm telling you, like, we got this thing wrong. Living in a democracy has fooled us. I, I'm grateful for it, but it's fooled us. These people that were in Scripture, they, they lived under a dictatorship, a, a, a rulership. They didn't have the freedoms to just say whatever they wanted whenever they want. I'm grateful for the fact that we live, but it doesn't change my Christianity. And it's amazing how you really find out what kingdom you're living under when you start to manifest your opinions. 
How did that settle? It kind of went down like a rat sandwich for a few of you. I'm not, like, it, it, you really find out what kingdom you are living under when you begin to talk about worldly things like politics. Because what does Jesus tell us to do? I'm not, I'm not saying you don't have your opinion. That's okay. I'm not telling you to, to not have one. I'm just saying the way we speak, it actually reveals Christ or it reveals that we are just another byproduct. Our thinking is a byproduct of the world that we're supposed to be in and not of. I mean, what do we think? Somebody's gonna co- some Christian's going to come and save our country because they're going to get elected into office and make the whole country Christian? Is that, I mean, do you really think that? I may not have the freedom to share everything I want to share, but do we really think that? And so what we do is we hope for another president instead of pray for the one that we have. That's what we do. I can't wait for the election. That's like saying I can't wait for the rapture. Let's just get out of this hell hole. <laughs> I want God to redeem this hell hole. I don't want him to come back yet. I got friends that don't know Jesus yet. So, excuse me if I'm not very focused on the political landscape right now, because I'm too busy focused on the spiritual one, to be quite honest with you, and I say that with all sincerity. I am very focused on that, and I'm very mindful that there are friends and family members of mine that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. They're dying. People across the world are being killed for their Christian faith. I'm mindful of that. So, you know, the circus that goes on in the political scheme, I mean, I, I'm going to pray. Pray with, pray with me. Pray for these people, you know. You know, I've had people, I was reading the other day, and I'm taking you over. I'll, 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 um, I'll wrap this up, all right? People the other day were like, uh, you pull up your homepage on Facebook, and I've gotten to the place where I don't know most of the people on there anymore. But, you know, it's just fun to see what's going down. And I just pulled it up, and there was the homepage right there, and it was like, if you're going to vote for Donald Trump, unfriend me. And I'm like, you know, I mean, I don't know Donald Trump, you know. He probably was offended, but I don't personally know the guy. But it's like, I don't know Donald Trump, and I, I don't know Hillary Clinton. And I just feel like when we start projecting people's motives, we're playing God. Why don't we pray that God begins to move in people's hearts Vote your convictions, all right? I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I've got no skin in the game. Vote your convictions, friends. Listen to me. But let's not project people's motives. That's the most dangerous thing we can do. We are playing God when we start saying this person is about this and this person is about that. God is the only one that knows. Not you, not me, not anybody else. And that's the thing that keeps us from being a people of prayer, believing that God can change and transform our nation through Cyrus or whoever, whatever king is established. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I haven't stopped believing that. So vote your convictions, but be sure to be a person of prayer. Amen? So the function of leadership, the scripture references that I failed to mention to you, Exodus 18, verse 13 through 27, where Moses appoints leaders over groups of 10, 50, and 100. His father-in-law says, what you're doing isn't good. Because he's actually leading all the people himself. He's governing all the people himself. He's judging all the people. And his father-in-law, it always takes an outside voice to help us delegate. 
that person says, what you're doing is not good. <laughs> Here's how you ought to do it. And so then he, he appoints rulers. It's a very similar word, over 10, 50, and 100. This is a very good verse. And so if you have the gift of leadership, it doesn't mean that thousands of people follow you. It means that 10 people might follow you. It means that 50 people might follow you. It means that 100 people might follow you. That's why we have different sizes of churches. There's always this pressure on pastors to, like, grow your church to 500. It's like, I thought the Bible says God gives the increase. I mean, I, that's just, I think we're supposed to sow seeds, and we're supposed to water seeds, and we're supposed to love people. But there's this, like, pressure in today's world about what it is that we're supposed to do as leaders or as Christians our job isn't to make people come to our church. That's called the attraction model. Our job is to water the seeds that God gives us. Our job is to invest into the people that God puts in front of us. That's our job. And God gives the increase. Our job is to preach the gospel. God gives the increase. We can't make somebody get saved. We're just supposed to present the message. And that's why we're so free to go out there and do that. You can present the message and get rejected. No problem. It's not your job to make somebody come to Christ. It's just your job to present the message. 1 Timothy 3, 4, he talks about the ruler or the leader must be one who manages his household well. This is the same word, manages his household well. Remember, it talks about fathers and deacons and overseers. In verse 10, or Mark chapter 10, verse 41, Jesus taught the disciples that leadership in the kingdom is about humility. It's not about lording it over people. Now, let me just jump into the function of leadership. Three things, they motivate they motivate people to work together and accomplish something bigger. They coordinate. This person has the ability to bridge things together for using, and using people to do that, not in, a, not in a negative sense, but just getting people involved. And they have the ability to communicate. This person that's a leader gift has to be a good communicator. They have to be a good communicator. They gotta be able to, to speak clearly what the vision is and, and get people into the right places at the right time so that we can, we can do what God's called us to. All right, this person has vision, this person has communication ability, and they also have the ability to assemble things or coordinate. And the final gift is the gift of mercy, and I'm going to have to just steam right through this, okay? The gift of mercy is the ability to feel sympathy and show compassion on those who are suffering physically, emotionally, or mentally. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can heal the suffering, how they can help people that are sick and suffering. Not just serve them, not just the practical need, but they, they, they actually get involved in the person's suffering and, and, and illness. They, they take it personal almost. I would actually go as far as saying sometimes, not all the time, sometimes a person that has the gift of showing mercy, they actually can feel a level of what that person's going through. It's what God imparts to them. They, they, they just have a sense, like a glimpse. They have a glimpse of it. They can cry about it even. Uh, pastor Chris, our senior pastor, has the gift of showing mercy. It's his motivation gift for sure. He's a pastor, Ephesians 4 ministry gift, but he, uh, he, has a, he is a mercy shower. And by the way, mercy is not just something you feel, it's something you do, it's something you show. That's why the word can be translated to have compassion on. It literally can be rendered to have compassion on. Different forms of this word appear 60 times in the New Testament and they're always referenced, almost always referenced to showing compassion or healing the sick. It's almost always in conjunction with those two things. And this person taps into the heart of God and involves themselves in people's problems. People's problems are not a burden to this person. You know. And isn't it interesting that Paul mentions that this person should show mercy with cheerfulness or joy? It's not a burden to them. There's a joy that they bring to the sick and to the suffering. 
just not just in what they say, but in their very presence, who they are and what they do and how they facilitate those opportunities with that person. If this is you, that's what you think about. You think about people's sickness, their illness, and you want to get in there. You involve yourself into that problem. That can also bring with it some negative stuff, amen? That can bring some negative stuff in there if you're not careful. So this person is always like, uh, on the outside, there are people that will tell this person, like, you need to develop boundaries, and you need to, you know, you need to read, read whatever his name's book on boundaries. <laughs> so every now and again, I'll see one of those people with the boundaries book out. But it's such an amazing gift to show compassion on people in suffering. And they would even think like other people don't care about the sick or suffering. I've actually heard that in my office several times. You know, a lot of people at our church don't care about people that are suffering. It, it, what if the reality is that we're all gifted differently, and if we could figure that out, whatever our inward motivation is, it's where we initiate the awareness for other people that aren't thinking the way we're thinking. Instead of using that gift to criticize what other people do and don't care about, what if we use that gift to bring that out to the forefront and see God use the body of Christ as he intends? The term show mercy, um, well, I already told you this. The person taps into God's heart. I believe it's all about tapping into God's heart for the suffering. You know, God doesn't want any of us to suffer. We suffer in this life. I've talked to you about it in our healing teaching that I did. God doesn't want people to suffer. He didn't commission us to cause people to suffer. He gave us free will, and we've run amok with that. But he can't just take little pieces of it back. He had to, he, in order to allow real love to flow through us and to us, he allowed that freedom. And that comes with a whole set of problems and even questions on, on our end. He doesn't want people to suffer. And so he gifts people in the body of Christ to care about the suffering of others and to bring awareness to the rest of us. It's incredible. There's a lot, blessed are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7, for they shall receive mercy. The blind man on the road in Matthew 9 there's another passage as well. He cried out for Jesus to have mercy on them, to show mercy to them. And then you have the Good Samaritan passage, which I don't have time for. And there's someone that actually is referenced by the apostles as having this showing mercy type gift. Her name was Tabitha. She was actually raised from the dead by Paul. It's an interesting story in Acts chapter 9. This person will do three things. They'll heal. Their word and ministry is first about bringing healing to the suffering. They'll refresh. This gift brings refreshing to those who are suffering because they do it with joy, not sorrow or burden. They don't add more burden. They bring joy. And they strengthen. The Bible talks about strengthening the weak, which is totally true of this gift. They strengthen the weak, right? They lift others up because they carry a certain strength in these areas where they don't think about themselves. They just automatically involve themselves in somebody else's sickness or illness. I have a few friends that are like this, mercy showers. I walk with one as one of my best friends, Pastor Chris. He's incredible. Honestly, he makes me feel guilty at least once a week. <laughs> I feel like less of a Christian being friends with him. And then he'll come up to me, he'll go, oh man, you're one of the best men I know. You're one of the most incredible men that I've ever met. Man, you'll do anything for people. And I'm like looking at him and I'm like, all right, because he knows that I'm the doer, right? And he's that guy that will sit with people and have empathy, and, and, and they'll feel that. You know, the power of presence is very powerful, right? And the way you make somebody feel is actually, that can be very much from God. I used to look down on that. I would be like, well, those people don't do anything. They just cry with people, and 
you know, they're sad with the sad and happy with the happy. And <laughs> but I've learned that the power of presence is an incredible thing. It's a God-given thing. And I don't need to feel bad that I don't have, I want to be merciful. I mean, I want to show mercy more and more and more. I want to increase in the character of Jesus. But I don't have to feel bad that I carry more of that leadership, that dominant gift, which according to statistics, I think 10 people, 10% of people in the world have that. And I think if it went to 25%, we'd all like kill each other overnight probably. <laughs> you know, if you take the person out. Anyways, I'll just leave it there. But... But me and him and I are a great, we, we were, we're a good example, I think, of how we can work together, how people can really work together that are so different. And maybe I want to close just on that idea is that um, those of us that are differently gifted, if we carry the knowledge, if we possess this knowledge that that's a good thing, that diversity is meant for unity and it's not meant for division, if we possess that knowledge, then we could start to work together and do a whole lot more together than we ever could by ourselves. It takes us all, okay? It takes us all. And so I hope that all this information, I know it was like a flamethrower, and I just hope you're not burned up on the way out, but I do believe that uh, we, we will be better equipped as, as we focus on, on these together. And so here's what I want to do tonight, okay? I want you to close your eyes again. Yield. I'll do it too, okay? I'll do it too. Andrew's going to come up. And this is, what I want, this is what I want to do, all right? I want to, uh, in my heart, when I was praying about this, this is what I felt like was going to be the case in here tonight, was that some of us, you know the motivation gift that God's given you. Some of you right now, if I, if I asked you, I mean, I'm just going to do it. How many of you feel like you know right now what motivation gift that God has given you? At least you kind of have the idea, like, I know it's got to be this one over these ones. There's a lot of us, okay? There's some of us here right now that don't. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray together, and I just want to take some time to just wait on the Lord and ask him to reveal to us what it is that he's put inside of us. And here's, here's what I think he's going to do. Uh, this is just... I can't say it's a prophetic word, but I just have this sense when I was praying that the Lord was going to do this when we, when we prayed and wait, we're just going to wait on the Lord for a moment, that he was going to draw our attention in the same way that these gifts are motivated, like the motiva motivation to help somebody with practical and physical needs, the motivation to want to bring healing to the sick and suffering, the motivation to want to give, to fund something, to constantly be thinking about how it is that we can give spiritual and financial resources to get things done in the kingdom. That's just our constant MO. That's what we think about. Or maybe it is that we're thinking about how, man, the church needs to think bigger and we can assemble people and, and if I just had people's ears, you know, they would, we would get some stuff done. <laughs> you're a leader. You know, you're a leader. And there's the prophetic, the person that's always think of, thinking about what God is saying. You're here tonight, and there's a few of you that you're always just, well, what does God say about this? I mean, it's really nice what Ben says, but what does God say about this? That's the, pro the prophetic in you, right? And the exhorter, the encourager, the one that wants to come alongside people and encourage them to their potential. You constantly want to lift them up. You constantly want to bring them along. You see their potential. You believe in people even when they don't believe in themselves, even when nobody else believes in them. You're a restorer. You're a reconciler. That might be 
that might be who you are. And you're the teacher. Maybe you're the one that wants people to get it. I just want people to get it. I want people to understand what the Bible says. I want people to understand what God is saying and, 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 and what, what scriptures teach and how it is that we can live a Christian godly life and do what God's called us to do. I, I, want, I want to help people get it. I want to teach them what it is. There's these seven motivations. You have one of them. Many of us in this room know what that is. And as we wait on the Lord tonight, I want you to ask God to increase your capacity to be used by Him, to be intentional with your gift. And next week, I'm going to really, it's going to be a 45-minute, I promise, a 45-minute showdown of what it's going to take for us to go to the next level of being used by God in our gifting. Ultimately, to see the world changed, to see the body built up. So tonight... Let's just wait on the Lord, okay? In the-